0: March 8th of 2020 is the last time we've seen your beautiful singing faces. It is good to be together. In talking with many of you, over the last couple of weeks, It is clear that that we are a community that's wrestling with pain. And Pam reminded us as a staff on Tuesday that, that when any one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. The body is hurting. And people are... Are wanting to know how to support and care for Patrick and the Risley family in this time. At the same time, people are struggling with how to respond to unimaginable violence on the other side of the world in Ukraine. What is there to say? Pain and suffering permeate our human existence. And there are times when we are confronted with the presence of death and suffering at home and abroad in ways that it unsettles our very souls. We are reminded of the evil in this world and the brokenness of existence. We were created. We were created in the image of an eternal And loving God. And so when we encounter the antithesis of that in creation, death, hate, evil, it provokes within us a restlessness that is difficult to name. We we desire to do something, to, to fix something, to exert some effort that will make us feel useful instead of useless. And so I want to ask your permission, I want to ask your permission to explore that this morning, to perhaps get uncomfortable together, to learn more about what is underneath that and what it is we are supposed to do about it. Our scripture this morning comes from the Old Testament it comes from uh, the reading in the Revised Common Lectionary from the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell speech to the Israelites just before they enter into the Promised Land. And so for just a bit of context and as to, to what is going on and, and who is hearing these words, the Jewish people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after their flight from Egypt under Moses' leadership. They are on the precipice of entering into the promised land, this land that God is giving them. For 40 years, they have been wanderers. They have been nomads. They have been homeless. They've been setting up camp here and setting up camp there. And in that time, God has provided the law. God has provided them with the Torah, their way for living in relationship with God. God has been preparing them to become a nation, to become a people rooted in a place. They have been learning to become God's people. And so here they are about to make this final step in in realizing the original promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so many generations before. And so let's go back As Jacob and his family are fleeing, looking for refuge in a time of famine, they come to the land of Egypt. And according to the Genesis account, we read that there were about 70 families making up the entirety of the Jewish people at this time. For reference, in 2022, we have more than 200 families that are Giving to the Estimate of Giving campaign here at church. So three times the fledgling nation of Israel. But now, now as they prepare to enter the promised land, and depending on biblical interpretation, there are somewhere between 5,500 families and 600,000 families. They have grown into a nation of people. And so here in Deuteronomy 26, God provides them with instructions on what they are to do when they cross into the promised land. How is it that they are to begin worshiping as a people, as a nation, as a people with a place? And so I want you to pay attention to two details as we read. I want you to pay attention to the acts they are instructed to perform. One is an offering, and the second is what they are to say as they make the offering. Our scripture comes from Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 through 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders, and he brought us into this place, into this place, and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me, You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. And then you, together with the Levites and the aliens, who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These verses here in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy provide a detailed liturgy for worship. Now, the word liturgy comes from two Greek words, literally meaning public working. Liturgies are, are enacted. They are actions played out in community. They have a purpose. Liturgies are intentional activities meant to serve as practices to teach and reinforce ideas and behaviors. Because ultimately, our beliefs are always expressed as behaviors. How do you answer the question, what do you believe? I want you this afternoon to take up this exercise. I want you to take an inventory of your last week of your actions? Where did you spend your time? How did you spend your time? What did you do? What did you produce? And then from those answers, I want you to deduce what it is you believe. What it is that you have faith in. Because what we do is what we believe. To build true faith, we must align the work of our hands with what we profess to believe. And so liturgies, they provide us with tools to begin to practice what it is that we want to believe. The act of coming to worship on a weekly basis, on a seven-day rhythm, is a liturgy we are reminding ourselves that we are not the center of the universe as we direct our attention, our gratitude to God. The act of weekly confessing our sins to God, of laying ourselves bare as a community, reminds us that we are all broken people. That we are not capable without the grace of Jesus Christ. Today, we'll participate in the liturgical act of communion, coming together today, reminding ourselves that God welcomes us all. In the act of eating, in the act of joining in what Jesus did with his disciples, we remind ourselves that we are not just spiritual beings, but we are also physical creatures as well. Now, the word liturgy is generally used to refer to acts that take place in the worship space, but houses of worship are not the only place we find liturgies. They're not the only places we find practices that instill beliefs within us. In his book, You Are What You Love, philosophy professor James Smith writes this. He says, our practices, our liturgies, these aren't just things that we do. They do something to us. Any activity that practices and reinforces a belief is a liturgy. And so in his book, he writes of going to the mall as a liturgical act. So let's go to the mall. You enter through the doors, often large doors, sometimes They open for you, welcoming you into the space, and the ceiling is vaulted. It's magnificent. The smells of commerce hit your nostrils, perhaps those tasty little cinnamon treats that they make. You can smell new clothing, newness. And instead of a bulletin to tell you how things will unfold, you're greeted by a large directory, perhaps interactive, to show you where you are going to find just the thing you came for. Perhaps you're not even sure why you're there. There was some some inkling, something coming up in you, like, like an itch, that thought, I need to go to the mall. And so you begin wandering down the windowless corridors, No reminder of the outside world, your entire attention focused right here. And as you walk along with these chapels of commerce lining the corridor, you see perhaps pictures, happy faces of people wearing or using the items being sold behind the doors. Those smiles, the smile that will be on your face when you find just the right thing. And so you do. You carefully select something and you put it on in that mirror and you think, this is it. And you pay. And you walk out and the weight of that bag feels good. It feels just right. And you walk out the doors boom, into the South Florida humidity. And the illusion begins to fade. Already on the way home, something is creeping in. Later you try that on again, and in the mirror at home, something has changed. Not quite sure what it is, and as days or weeks pass, that feeling of contentment leaves. A new need arises. And you think, oh, if I can just get that one thing, I'll have that smile I saw. And the cycle begins again. You see, the things that we do do something to us, And so let's explore for a moment these liturgies that the people of Israel are instructed to take up. What is it that God is calling them to do and why? They're instructed to take the first fruits of the ground that they grow once they enter into the promised land and offer them. They're instructed to offer them as a gift, these these agricultural products that flourished in the promised land, they're called to give them over to God, the gift that the land had provided, the land that God had given them. They're called to give over the very best they could offer. And in giving it away, they remind themselves, We haven't always had this. We haven't always had the fruit that we are holding. We haven't been anywhere long enough to even grow food. In fact, we haven't always had the land to grow it. When you consider what the grace of Jesus Christ has provided you, what are you reminded of? What do you know about yourself because of what Christ has done? What do you have because of what God has done? What do you produce because you know Jesus? And perhaps you're still wandering. If you are, I want to say to you this morning that God is inviting you to cross over into the promised land today. Today. And then there is this statement, this statement that they make, covering all of the events from Jacob's entry into Egypt, to their rescue out of slavery, and to the doorstep of the promised land. But did you notice what was glaringly missing from the account? It is curious that there is no mention here of the Ten Commandments. And it's conspicuously missing because the preceding 15 chapters of Deuteronomy are all spent talking about the Ten Commandments. Moses has been going commandment by commandment, offering the interpretation for how they are to live their lives. So, why no mention here? Perhaps, Perhaps what is being tacitly communicated is that the basis for faithful living is not obedience to the law, but rather gratitude for what is given freely. You see, the land that they are being given is being given freely. It's not something that they have earned It's not something that they are receiving because they are finally following all the commandments correctly. And in the same way, grace is given freely. And the appropriate response is gratitude. It's not right living. Gratitude must form the foundation for our response, for the way that we live, because the relationship is not transactional. Grace is not given because we finally get it right. Thank goodness. The act of offering practices and cultivates the value and understanding that God is responsible for the for and the source of all life. It cultivates the understanding that God is our why. And so in this expression of worship, The Jewish people are reminding themselves who the source of the land is. They're reminding themselves that the very source of all that they have and produce is not themselves, but God. The reenactment reminds them of the why for all they have. It is a self-reinforcing behavior. In the act of giving and in the ritual of saying the words, they are expressing gratitude and reinforcing the why for their gratitude. What does that look like for us? Because when we fail to offer ourselves and the gifts that God has given us, we fool ourselves. We fool ourselves into believing that we are responsible for it, that we created it, that our hard work was the genesis, that we are the source. And then, in times of darkness, in times of pain, in times like this, our rehearsed and learned behaviors direct us to the practiced illusion that we can get ourselves out of it. And then we find that we are not enough that we are hopelessly lost. We try and bear the burdens that only God can bear, the burdens that God will bear the burdens that God wants to bear for you and for me. It is only with a foundation of gratitude for all that God has done that a reflection on the state of the world, the darkness around, can lead us into a posture of prayer. When prayer is the only possible response, it forces us to quit trying to fix it. It forces us to our knees and directs our attention to the only one who holds it all in his hands. Friends, in this season of Lent, we are invited to reflect on our sin. But we do this as redeemed people. It's not intended to be an act of intense self-critique, but rather an act that directs us to a recognition of God's goodness. We see and consider our sin not to recognize how bad we are, but rather how good and gracious God is. Friends, Let's recognize that together this Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.